Tonight, for a basis of our reading, will you please turn to John's Gospel? Turn to John's Gospel, please. Chapter 19. The Lord bless you all. Your faithfulness to the house of God. The Lord bless you indeed. John's Gospel, chapter 19, just beginning to read at verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart. And also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them. For my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head. And give up the ghost. Let's just pray again. Father, take your own word and inscribe it on every heart again. Settle us all now in your presence. And speak to us. Encourage your people. Help us to see none but Christ alone. And let him alone be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to speak this evening on the title of Jesus is the fullness and the finished work of God. In other words, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and he is the finished work of God. We talk about the finished work on the cross. Christ is the finished work of God himself. There's no other way. There's no other means. There's no other method. There's no plan B for salvation. No plan B for redemption. Christ alone is the finished work. Uh, The idea of this this evening will be to show you how uh, when men bring their own futile works to God, their own denominationalism, their own ritualism, and all those things that we're always going on to you about them, the reason is because people always add their own little ritualized symbolisms in with the unadulterated Word of God, and also they take away from the Word of God, making it seem to be something that God never said it was. And so they, they, they want ceremonies, they want rituals and other sacrifices. And no matter what it is, everything is centralized on Christ. Everything. It doesn't matter what side of the divide of Northern Ireland you came on up in. It doesn't matter what family and home you were born into. It doesn't matter if you came up in a Protestant religion or a Catholic religion or another religion. The only way of salvation is in a person the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. There is no other means, there is no other way 
There is no other method. And I want to, with the help of, of the Holy Spirit, and in God's grace, show you Christ is God in flesh. But Christ is not only God in flesh, but he's fully man. And being the God-man, he died in our place. And there's nothing else can satisfy a God that's, that has wrath and vengeance against sin and the sinner. It doesn't matter how good we are. In human level, we try to be good. In human level, we try our works. In human level, we go to our religious services. And it doesn't matter how good we are. This morning, we spent our morning on grace. And we're going to look again at grace because we need grace every moment of every day. If it wasn't for God's grace, every minute, every moment of every hour of every day, none of us would make it. For example, what did the father think of his son Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. At Jesus' baptism, a voice that we were told, it says, No, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the only one in the whole of Scripture that the Father, Almighty God, could say, He's my Son and I'm well pleased in Him. There's none other. It doesn't matter whether it's a prophet or a priest. It doesn't matter if it's a patriarch. It's only in Christ could he say that. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 11, we're told there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And again, in Luke chapter 3 and verse 22, he says to him, notice this, he says to him, Thou art. He's telling us and he's telling him. Now, did God say it twice or what way does that mean? Well, either God said it to him and to the people that were there or anyone that may have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit did say that that day. Or else when God speaks, he speaks in various ways to various people. He'll speak to your heart tonight different than he'll speak to someone else's heart tonight. He speaks to my heart at times different in different times and circumstances than he speaks to others' hearts. So we leave these things with God, but he said to him, confirming Christ, he says, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. He didn't say it anywhere else or to anyone else. In Matthew 17 and verse 5, the Lord Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and goes up the mount of what's known as the Mount of Transfiguration. And we're told, And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Here is another confirmation of Christ on the earth. Here is another confirmation of who this man is. Here's another confirmation from his father. Notice again in Luke chapter 9 and verse 35, and in Mark chapter 9 and verse 7, he said in, the, in those gospels also, This is my beloved son. In other words, this one here, he's the one who calls the love out of my heart. He is the one in all the men of this planet that ever did live from Adam's race. He is the only one who has called the love out of my heart. And so we read then, Peter also after the resurrect, the death, the burial, the resurrection and ascension and glorification of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter who was on that mount, Peter, James and John, he now speaks to the people and his epistle, <coughs> excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. Listen to what Peter says. 
For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known, when he made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter, what do you mean you were eyewitnesses of his majesty? When were you an eyewitness of his majesty, Peter? Were you talking about the miracles he done? No. Peter, what are you speaking of? Are you speaking of the time he walked in water? No. There are glimpses of it. There are little spit, spits and spots and chinks of, of glory coming through humanity. Peter, when are you speaking of when he fed the multitude with the, those and the fish? No. He says, I beheld the fullness of God in him on the mount. That's what Peter's saying. He says, and I am not following some device of fable. In other words, we haven't made it up. Why would I, he says, a man who has fallen many times, why would I make such a thing up about such a glorious person and even go to my own death? If this were not so, if I had not seen the resurrected Lord, he who alone could raise himself from the dead, if I had not have seen him, he says, then why would I be following this? Notice, I was an eyewitness of his majesty. Verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him on the holy mount. Peter says, it was all on the mountain I saw him. His face shone brighter than the noonday sun. His clothes were glistering as though they were bright light. He says, I saw his fullness of deity clothed in the humanity, bursting through the very pores and DNA of the man Christ Jesus. I saw the glory of the Father, he says. This is who our Savior is. This is the one who died on the cross for you. Brother, sister, this is the one who shed his precious blood for you. This is the one who bore your sin in his own body on the tree. This is the one who died. It's him alone who can save us. And so how futile, how empty is it when we come with our own gifts? How futile and empty is it when we come with Cain's offering in the work of our hands? How futile and how empty is it? How insulting is it to the cross work of Christ? After him bleeding and dying and giving his life on the cross. How futile and empty is it when we offer him our denominationalism and say, look, we belong to the Elam, aren't we good? We belong to the Baptist and the Presbyterian or the Roman Catholic Church or wherever you want to belong to. And we, we bring it to God and we say, look what I have done. I've been to church and I've been to around uh, rapping doors and I fed the hungry. Up they a good man and a good woman. And God says, well, what did you do with my son? The one who is my beloved. He's mine, he says. And I love him. How futile. Can you see the... Uh, the degrading emptiness of, of what man brings to God to think he'll enter the kingdom of God. Why, when men and women die without Christ, and, 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 and they die in their sin, and they die lost. And in our own minds, we've, we have this lovely, beautiful picture of, of Auntie Aggie and, and Brother Bob up there, and, and they're all meeting together and having a drink-up party 
they're having a, they're, they're, they're popping champagne corks and, and they're pouring it into glasses and, and eating, drinking and being merry in heaven when it's all a figment of imagination. But the reality is there's a glory of the kingdom of God and it's only in Christ we can find it. It's only in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Listen to, listen to this. Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42, the prophet, 700 years or more before Jesus is born. Isaiah the prophet under the inspiration of the Spirit. Remember, uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Remember that. What does that mean? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That means when you go from Genesis and you go right through to the book of Malachi, all the Old Testament prophets and all the Old Testament patriarchs and all the types and all the shadows, it's all of those prophetic utterances given by the Holy Ghost. Those prophetic utterances are talking of Christ's coming. That's how important it is. Uh, That's how how separate it is. Uh, That's how uh, exclusive Christ is. That only the exclusiveness of Christ is this. That he alone is God in flesh. That he alone could bear our weight of sin. That he alone could pay our debt. And that he alone could have us forgiven by the shedding of his own precious blood. For he alone is the one and unique son of the living God. See, God gave his heart. God gave his whole heart when he gave his son he gave him for us. So when we come, we see the prophet in Isaiah 42. This is Jesus before Bethlehem. When you read of the angel of the Lord coming, the theophany of God, it's Jesus pre-Bethlehem coming and speaking to Abraham and speaking to Moses. This is Jesus himself coming now. And it's the spirit he's speaking through the prophet. Behold my servant, says the Lord, whom I uphold. Listen, mine elect In whom my soul delighteth. Isn't that beautiful? In whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him. At the waters of baptism, the spirit came down, as it were, in a bodily form as a dove and rested on him. Then the voice says, this is my beloved son. He said to him, you are, thou art my beloved son. You're mine elect. Uniquely mine elect and my spirit is upon you. You're mine. Uniquely Mind. See the word here, in whom my soul delighteth. He, it, it gives the same idea, my beloved. He is my beloved. The one who will be crucified is the beloved of the Father. The one who will be hung on the tree and bleed and die is the beloved of the Father. In whom my soul delighteth. The word delight here, I want to show you something about this because it's a, it's a wonderful word. It's a Hebrew word, rasa, and it means to take pleasure in. My servant, when he comes, my soul will take pleasure in him. God at his very core takes pleasure in Jesus. God at his very core takes pleasure in his son. It means to accept, to be favorable, to be satisfied, to be pleased. It comes from a root word, to satisfy someone by paying a debt. And get this, this is in Isaiah 42 verse 1. In whom my soul delighteth, behold my servant, mine elect. He says, whom I uphold my elect, in whom my soul delighteth. He alone, he says, will satisfy the debt. It's my peace. And my heart will be for him. 
And my heart will be for him. And Ken, before he's saved, thinks, you know, well, you're not a, I'm not a bad guy. You know, I'm not too bad. I was, I was a rascal. But I'm not too bad of a felon. And you know, Lord, I know, God, you'll let me into heaven, even if you're really there. Yet Christ paid the debt. He says, my soul delights, he will pay the debt. He cheers my heart. He delights my soul, the Father says. Let me show you an example of this paying the debt, if you will. Turn with me, please, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 33, and we'll lift just a few verses. Genesis 33. And you can see how how strong an emphasis how strong an emphasis we have to put on Christ's death for salvation, his burial and resurrection. We have in, in Genesis chapter 33, uh, we have um, the, the Lord is, uh, has been wrestling with, uh, we'll, we'll read then, and he wrestles with Jacob all night, but here Jacob is going to meet uh, Esau. Remember we talked this morning about Esau uh, giving his birthright over for a pot of lentil soup. And Esau was raging at Jacob. He wanted to kill Jacob. And so he, Jacob's heading home now with his wives and his family, and he's starting to realize, I, I have to face Esau with this. So Genesis 33, please, and let your eye just run down to verse 8. And he said, what meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, these are to find grace in in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Mark that word, I have enough. I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, nay, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, when then receive my present, notice this, receive my present at my hand, for therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough, there's the word enough again, mark it, and because I have Enough, Jacob says. And he urged him. And he took it. Notice, he says, Jacob goes to give him the present. Esau says, what is all this? You want to try and buy me off. And he says, I have enough. Esau says to Jacob, Jacob, I have enough. I don't need your stuff. I don't need your presents. I don't need your offering." Jacob comes with the offering, says, please. He says, if you find grace, I see God's working on you in grace, he says, and receive the present that I have. He urges him, for Jacob then says, for I have from enough. You see, there was only a friend took a present from a friend. The custom was that unless you were friends with another, you wouldn't take a present off them. If someone came and they were your enemy, you said, I don't want your money. I don't want your present. I don't want what you're going to give me. You can keep it. 
And that was the custom in these days. So Esau is coming toward Jacob. Jacob sends a present. Esau says, I have enough. I don't need what you have to give me. I have enough. Jacob then is showing that he wants to be friends with him. And they're not reconciled. So the present, listen, the offering will not be accepted. It will not be accepted because they're not yet reconciled. They're not yet friends. When we move this to the gospel, Romans chapter 5, listen to what Paul says in verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Now notice that. That's of the utmost importance to get to grips what God has done in Christ. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. In other words, your offering will not be accepted. Your present will not be accepted. Outside of Christ, whatever you offer for reconciliation to Jesus or to God the Father will not be accepted. God says, you're my enemy when you're outside of Christ. There's nothing, absolutely nothing we can give. There's nothing we can offer that the Lord will accept outside of Christ. Notice this now. He says here, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. The only offering that can be made is from Isaiah 42 and verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in him in whom my soul delighteth. In him my soul finds a satisfactory debt has been paid. That's what it means. In him and him alone, he alone could pay the debt. He alone could offer up his blood. He alone was sinless and spotless. He alone could pay your debt and your sin. And so God says, my son will be born in Bethlehem. He will grow into a man. He will die on a tree. And God says, I will be in him and he will be in me. And only there I will meet with you. Only there in all of the earth and all of the universe. Only there will I meet and only in him will I accept a gift. For he is my beloved. He is my son. Oh, brother, sister, understand that the grace that brought it down to man when Christ offered up himself, he was saying, I'm paying their debt, Father, that when they're in me, it's satisfactory unto you. And this is the idea of in whom my soul delighteth. We can't delight the soul of the Father unless we're in Christ. You can't delight the soul of the Father unless you love his Son. So notice this. Paul says in Romans 5 and 10, for if when we were enemies, it's not maybe we weren't enemies, some were and some may not have been. The word if is a fulfilled condition and it means this, in the view of the fact that when we were enemies, the word enemies goes as far as hating God. Hating God. Rebellious against him, hostile toward the things of God. When we were like that, we were reconciled to him by the death of his son. 
2,000 odd years ago when Jesus died in Calvary's tree. The Father knew me from eternity and in Christ he looked down through time and he says, now I can't can be reconciled. He just doesn't know it yet. Don't offer me anything, son, but come to me through the blood of my son. Don't offer me anything, Ken. Don't offer me anything at all, for I will not accept it. I will only accept the blood of my lamb. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. In other words, because he lives, we shall live also. So our, our life is now wrapped up. Our life is now consumed by the life of Christ. Our, our, our will is now consumed by the will of God because we're in Christ. When we were enemies, God loved us to reconcile us. The word reconcile is the word katalaso. It means to exchange. Notice the words here now. To exchange as though you're buying something. I go into a shop. I have money. How much is that? I get the goods. I pay the money. It's the same word. In other words, a satisfactory debt must be paid. So, so Christ has the, the offering to God that only he will accept this one offering. And when he pays his, our debt, the blood, it's, his blood is our monetary, as it were, offering. He pays it all. He pays all of my sin. And he pays all of your sin. And we take his righteousness. Righteous in Christ. And we're friends with God then. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5 and 19. To wit that God was in Christ. Reconciling us to himself. The man on the tree is almighty God. The man bleeding from his veins, from his riven side, is almighty God. And the blood that flowed from Emmanuel's veins, meaning God with us, That same one is how we are at one with the Father. And outside of that, there is no unity, no reconciliation, no forgiveness of sin, but only in Christ and in Christ alone. That's how exclusive it is to be in Jesus. Today, it's all roads are leading to Rome, and all roads are leading to Rome, by the way. All religions do tend to be pointing to literally to Rome and their ways of thinking. But all roads do not lead up the mountain to salvation, as it were. All roads lead to hell, but the path is narrow. And many there be will walk down the road of destruction and perdition. But the way that is narrow and straight is the gate that leads to life everlasting. For it's in one place and one person only. And it's in Christ and Christ alone. We can't be saved. We can't be saved. We can't be forgiven outside of Christ. We can't find cleansing outside the blood of the Lamb. No man can, no religion. It's not politically correct to say Jesus is exclusively the only Savior. It's not politically correct to say Jesus is the only sin bearer. It's not politically correct today to say Jesus is the only way to the Father. It's not politically correct to say Jesus is the only one that brings us to God's kingdom, to his heaven. It's not politically correct, but it's biblically correct. And it's only in Jesus and in Jesus alone. It doesn't matter where the world are going or what they're saying or what other denominations are leading. We're sticking on the word of God. The Bible says through Christ and Christ alone, for he has paid our debt. 
Jesus petted all brothers and sisters. And in him alone can we be found forgiven, saved, and righteous. Oh, this great redemption price that's being paid. The Father spoke of it in Isaiah 42 and verse 1. He says, And whom my soul delighteth. In other words, the wrath that's to be poured out upon the, the sinner. He says, in other words, that wrath is poured out upon him. He paid your debt. Where else would we go? To whom else would we go? What good is it sitting in a nice ornate church with, 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 with uh, old rituals and, and so many garments blowing and so many steps you have to do and so many pilgrimages you have to make and so many things you have to add and we're taking away from Christ. Where else would we go but to the cross of Calvary? God was in Christ reconciling us unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. The word imputing, I remember I'd done a study in the Bible study one time on the word imputing. You know what it means? It gives the idea to count, to add up. To count, to add up. So when you count up and you add up all the things that you'll remember that you've done wrong and every commandment that you've broken and every time you've failed and every time you've said something wrong that you shouldn't have said or been places or whatever, and that's only the ones you know. That's only the tip of the iceberg, really. When you add them all up, there's a mountain before us of sin to add up. And God could add them up and place them on us and judge us guilty as charged, but no, because his son died, he made the exchange. He paid the debt. He shed his blood, and he took all my sin. And he took all of yours. So he did not add our trespasses onto us. He bore it in his own body on the tree. Jesus bought us with his own life, the shedding of his own blood, and we're reconciled to God by this great exchange. Jesus would not, or God would not and could not accept our gifts or our presence because we were enemies, but alone he could only accept that of his son. His beloved. See the idea of this now? Why Esau says, You can keep it, I have. <laughs> I have more than enough. So Jesus in John 19 and verse 30, we're told when all things were now accomplished that Jesus cried, It is finished. <laughs> now we're getting to grips with it. It is finished. In Romans 5 and 10, we're reconciled by his life because he lives, we'll live also. Our salvation is as sure as Christ's resurrection. How important is it for the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? How important is it that you and I believe it and know it's true? It's a foundational pillar of your faith. We have the, the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Russellites, as they're otherwise known. And, and they'll tell you that, oh, well, you know, Jesus' body dissolved. He was never resurrected. Uh, the body, body never resurrected from the dead. But Jesus, in his resurrected body, says, Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone, as you see me have. But their Bible will change it. It is of the utmost importance because we are now reconciled with the Father. Our 
offerings of praise and worship and thanksgiving and service are accepted by him and we live in him. So our salvation is as sure as Christ's resurrection. Our salvation is as secure as Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. And our salvation is as safe as the Son of God who died on the cross in the power of his blood. We are reconciled in Christ. We have made our peace and we're at one with God. In Genesis 33, Jacob says this. Notice, if I have found grace in thy sight, receive my present at my hand. First here's grace where 20 years earlier, Esau's wrath and vengeance was always thinking of getting his own back on Jacob. In verse 9, Esau, as I said, said, I have enough. I don't want your present. See the word there, enough? It's a word, rav. Rav. And it simply, it simply means, I have much. You took my birthright, but I have much. I don't need what you have. You're not my friend, and I will not accept your gift. I have much, and I don't need you. See, they're not friends. He can't accept it. In verse 11, Jacob says, I take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. See the word enough there? It's a different word. It's coal. Coal. And it means, I have everything. What's the difference? Esau says, I have much. Jacob says, I have everything. Here's the difference. Jacob had met Jesus. Jacob had met Jesus. He had seen even the ladder at Bethel and rested his head upon the stone. Jacob had the birthright blessing, wrestling with the angel of the Lord of Peniel. He had a name changed to Israel then. But he said, I have seen the Lord. I have seen him. He came down from heaven and visited me. I have everything. If you have the Lord, you have everything. You have everything. It's good to have things, but if you have Jesus, you have everything. The Lord changed his name. And so whenever we see here, he takes, as it were, the gift. He receives it because he realizes God has been gracious. He sees, as it were, it says that he sees Esau's face as towards God. That's not what it means. He means God working on Esau. But God wasn't working on Esau for Esau's sake. Esau was an old rascal. He didn't want his birthright. God wasn't working on Esau for Esau's sake. God was working on Esau for Jacob's sake. It's good to know that God will work, that you wrestle with God in prayer and in the reading of the word. When you wrestle with God in worship, when you give up, God will start to change the hearts of your enemy. And he works on them for your sake. Listen to what Acts 15 and verse 11 
The apostle says, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. And Romans 5 and 15 says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Here's a free gift from the Father, bearing the free gift of salvation, abounding to many. And the Father is saying, do you want to be my friend? What will I give you, Father? God, what will I do for you? He says, nothing. Repent. Come. When we're friends, we'll exchange gifts. I'll give you my spirit. I'll give you my blessings. You'll give me your service. You'll give me your worship. You'll give me your heart. God in verses 10 and 11, God had done a, a work of grace. Jacob urged Esau and he took it. When reconciliation is made, God is well pleased with our gifts and wrath and death and judgment is averted. It's averted from the guilty because Christ has borne the wrath of God. And so the father who said, this is my beloved son in the river Jordan, the father who said, this is my beloved son on the mount, is the father looking at his beloved son on the cross. Jesus was and still is the father's beloved son, but he alone was in right standing with God. He alone could be the present or the bearer, gift bearer. He alone, God could delight in. In him alone is saving grace to be found. He alone could be our reconciliation. He alone could satisfy the debt and be our exchange. John 19 and verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Brothers and sisters, I finish coming to a close. Thank you for your attention. Does this not show the importance and the exclusivity of Christ as our Savior? That's only in Him. Listen, people are chasing everything for salvation. All sorts of mantras and chants and, and all sorts of beads and all sorts of idols and statues and all sorts of, of religion and all, all sorts of denominationalism. They're even following the, 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 the wall that, uh, or the, a temple to be built in the future allegedly by Jews and willing a wall. And Listen, there's no salvation in it. It's in Christ alone. It's only in Jesus. We must not make an excuse for the world. But we must tell of the living Savior who died in our place instead. So here's a few verses. I'll just throw them out. And this is me finished. The Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to John 8 and 29. Listen to what Jesus says about him and his Father. John 8 and 29, I do always those things that please him. I wish I could say that, but I can't. 
Listen to Psalm 40, and then it's rehearsed again in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, then said, I lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. I've come to do your will, Father. John 5 and verse 39, Jesus says, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. Luke 24, verse 37, to the two on the road to Emmaus. It says, I'm beginning at Moses and all the prophets. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, that this was all about him. And Acts chapter 10 and verse 43 says, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Revelation Chapter 19 and verse 10, I've already mentioned that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 when you go home. I haven't time to go through them all. God in sundry time and divers manner speaking, time passed unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. It's all in Christ. Everything is in him. John 4 and verse 34, Jesus says, My meat. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John 5 and 17, my father worketh hitherto and I work. John 9 and 4, I must work the works of him that sent me. John 17 and 4, Jesus prayed, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Jesus said, Father, I have done everything that you have told me to do and sent me to do. John nineteen twenty eight. All things were now accomplished. 19 and verse 30, he said, it is finished. Pet and food. Jesus is the fullness of God and he's the finished work of God. Everything of God is in him. It's in him. Declared in eternity, completed in time. Decided in heaven, carried out in the earth. Decreed by the Father, consummated through the Son. Determined in the Spirit, concluded at Calvary. Jesus, the fullness, the finished work of God. So now tell me, what can we give him? What does the sinner outdo in what they're doing? What, What can they offer? What can a man or a woman offer for their salvation, absolutely nothing. Because God has placed everything in him, poured everything into him, invested everything in him. If it's not in him, then it's of no avail at all. God bless his word. Thank you for your attention. It's been very warm all day today.